continuing as we are continuing our our sermon series in Genesis maybe wondering what does Genesis have to do with communion all right uh, I, I I have to confess this is the first time I'm actually uh, connecting the two and it, and it took it took a little bit of, of effort not to say that I'm going to stretch the text but it took a little bit of effort to begin to see the gospel woven within this these this particular test that text that we are going to cover today. So last week Sharon shared the genealogy of Adam and we could see clearly the distinction between Adam and his descendants. I mean to live almost a thousand years is just unfathomable in my mind. But to live almost a thousand years in a condition of sinfulness is even harder to imagine. I mean, it's hard enough that we have to look at the world around us and see the evil and, and the sickness and the death. But it's another thing for you to live in, you know, 70, 80 years, 90 if, if you're lucky or, or blessed. Uh, but to live a thou- almost a thousand years, that's a long time. So t- th- today I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. So we're going to talk about Genesis chapter 6 here. Um, but I want, to, I want to piggyback the particular text that we're going to talk about. It begins with verse 9. But I want to highlight something before that. If you are a Bible scholar, and when I mean scholar, you have read the book of Genesis a few times in your lifetime. um, And I'm using applying the word scholar very loosely. You will notice that this is the chapter of when God calls Noah to build a boat. But before he does so, what is interesting is that in chapter 6, it begins by a description of how God sees humanity. It begins by telling that he saw nothing but evil and that he regretted creating mankind. That is a big problem text for us Christians. How can God, who loves us so much, regret creating us? And I confess to you that that was a difficult text to wrestle with. And for some, it still is. I hope that by the end of today's service, and I, and I have a very limited amount of time, I will help paint a better picture of God's love for us. And so in the midst of him describing all of this, verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Right? 
This is the first time that the word grace appears in the entire Bible. This is the very first time that you see God coming and saying, okay, this is a righteous man. Well, we know that Enoch walked with God in the, from pre previous verses. But then verse 9 says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt, also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way to the Lord. Now that you see a picture, the next verses, it says that God called on Noah and, and, and that Noah began to build an ark. And I want to, next slide, please. I had a privilege of visiting the Ark Encounter. How many of you here have heard of the Ark Encounter in the state of Kentucky? How many of you have not? So, how many of you have been there? Okay, a few of you have. The Ark Encounter is a depiction, and there are some art artistic uh, freedoms that were, that were made, but it's an actual life-size depiction of the Ark. You can, you can Google it. You can go on the arkencounter.com, but it is a very, very large boat indeed. Next slide. As you can see, us, our family had the privilege of last summer visiting this, this place, and you begin to see how big it is until next picture. And you see myself and, 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 and Vivian, we're just in the very tip, and we're not even within touching distance of this boat. The Bible tells us that there were three decks, and you can kind of see it depicted here in this picture the levels in which the, those decks were were found. It's a massive, massive structure. Then it's not until you go inside it that you get to see how big it really is. I'm not going to spend more time talking about it inside because the focus is not the ark. And as I looked at this text, the focus of this text that, that I took away from it is not the how perfect the plan was to build this boat that was going to or supposedly float through a storm that in, in a place that had never rained before. I mean, that story in of itself is almost, almost ludicrous. But the Bible does say, next slide please, as I read before, that the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All flesh corrupt. Next slide, please. These two words are designed to be there intentionally because the word corrupt can be translated as has become, giving the uh, appearance, next slide please, giving the appearance that God never created the world to have been that way. You will, you, you will see a thread here, but when you couple that with violence, the word violence is 
is defined by a theologian as the cold-blooded and unscrupulous infringement on the personal right of others, motivated by greed and hate, and often making use of physical violence and brutality. Let me ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question. Has our world changed that much? You say worse, I say we're there. Jesus himself said that just, just as in the times of Noah, so will it be prior to the coming of the Son of Man. Now sometimes we read that text and, and we focus on, on the actions, but let's think of it of violence not in just the, the, the cold-blooded murder or the, the violent physical action that people have amongst each other, but it's the mere fact that you have an inf- unscrupulous infringement of the personal right of others. You and I are given the freedom to choose. You and I have, have been given that freedom at creation prior to sin entering this world. And because we choose to worship God as our creator, we are being attacked. Maybe not every day you feel that way, but more and more as society becomes to look like that society prior to the flood, we mimic those same words that are echoed in Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 excuse me, verses 11 through 12. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Next slide, please. Again. But here's this phrase that also caught my attention. So God saw. In some version it says, so God looked upon the earth. Now think back. If you have read the Bible, if all you had was the book of Genesis, can you think of another chapter in the previous, from these previous six that you have this phrase, and God saw? creation right so in creation we actually find next slide please god saw in the the words in the hebrew we find the same structure 10 times eight of them excuse me seven of them in the first chapter and god saw that it was good and god saw that it was very good this is a repeated theme So you ask yourself, when God created this world, he created a good place, a great place for for us to live. But then you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. That is the only time you will find it associated with something negative. But when you look at at the context of that, then you fast forward to Genesis chapter 35, verse 9, and that is... It says, then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padaram, 
pat him a ram and blessed him. Wait, Pastor Art, that doesn't have the words and God saw. It says God appeared. But you, did you know that one of the ways for us to see if, is for us to be there? God was there with Jacob and blessed him. That is the same structure in the Hebrew as in the previous verses. When God saw and it was very good. And God saw and it was very good. And God blessed Jacob. You catching on? Tracking? Are we together? All right. The next occurrence takes place in Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. At the beginning of, now you fast forward, this has been almost a thousand years since, since the flood, if not more. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. What was taking place? Where were the children of Israel? They were captive. They were enslaved. And God heard their voice because he saw them. What happened after these scenarios? In each of these scenarios where God saw in the ten occurrences that we see here, it's not so much that God sees what goes on, but he does something as a result of that. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 12, 11 and 12, God sees that man was evil and he told Noah to build an ark. Why? Because he was going to try to restart, reboot humanity to try to get back on track. Wait, Pastor Hart, isn't that kind of unfair? Well, put a pause on that question. I'll get back to that one. But I'll just give you a hint. It took 120 years to build the ark. Do you think that wasn't enough time for people to change their minds? Right? The other factor to that question is, if God is the sovereign that we say he is, the creator God, doesn't he have the right to decide what's evil and what is not? But we, in our short-sightedness, we look at these actions and we don't take into account the context for which God's decisions are being made, and we question his sovereignty, and we question his love, and we question his ability to make these decisions as just and correct. And so in, in verse 13, it says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm going to jump down to verse 18. And verse 18 says, But I will establish my covenant with you. Let me pause there for a minute. This is the first time that the word covenant is also used in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. But the way the, it's written in Hebrew, next slide please, it gives the nuance that he's not establishing, the word that is used there, it's not that he is going to establish, but he's confirming already a 
covenant that has previously been established. Some of you are starting to catch on. What covenant was already established with humanity? We've already talked about this in our previous sermons. This is a dangerous question to ask. From the, when the preacher asks, do you remember what I preached about? <laughs> but when I'm going to give you a clue. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. Was there a covenant that was established there? Yes. The covenant that a Savior would come. Remember, you can't take this text out of the greater context of Genesis. We just, excuse me, we just saw that Adam lived 935 years, if I'm not mistaken, and he lived almost to the point where Noah could have heard the stories of what it was like to be living in the garden. Noah lived very close up to the flood. Excuse me, Adam lived very close up to the flood. So there were these stories, and even with the people that went through these experiences, they still chose not to listen to the warning signs of the experienced ones. And they chose to go their own way. How many times have we chosen our own path? How many times have we chosen to not trust the word of the Lord? And say, nah, I know better. So when God saw, he took action. There's another verse in the Bible, in the New Testament, that when you read this, we get the same nuance. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son see we look at this verse and sometimes we say and we, and, and we say to ourselves the moment was right for for jesus to come and all prophecy to be fulfilled but you, we forget the context that jesus god saw the context of the world and he said now it's time for me to take action son in the fullness of time God sent for his son and he did and Jesus came and he lived and as a result of his life prior to his death he did something he used the words covenant again in Matthew 25 28 it says for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. You see, when we look at covenant, it's not about an agreement that has been established between God and man, but it's an agreement. It's an understanding that God has initiated the process for your salvation. God has taken the initiative, despite how bad or evil humanity may be, despite how atrocious the actions that God may have taken in the past may be, but let me assure you that no matter how much God has done, 
He has always given time for us to come back. He has always given time for people to repent. He has always given time for you and I to say, yes, I want to be there. He's always given time for you to say, Lord, I am yours. Take me as I am. That's what the new covenant is about. That is why we celebrate communion. The book Desire of Ages has this quote. It says, He committed to them the new covenant by which all who receive him become children of God and joint heirs, don't miss this, with Christ. See, communion is not about, it's not a, 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 an event that is about solemnness and sadness. It's about celebrating the idea that you can be with Jesus for all eternity. It's about you being co-heir. You know what that means? Let me put it in a very simplified children's perspective. You are princesses and princes before God's eyes. If God is the king... Jesus is the prince, and if I'm a co-heir, it means that I am his son or his daughter. I'm his son. It means that you're his daughter, and you're his son. And that makes everybody who accepts him co-heir. You may remember the book of Ephesians and Romans talk about the adoptions. That is what this is. We've become adopted into Jesus' family. So when we celebrate communion, it's not about you being unworthy. It's not about you saying, I'm not good enough. You know what? You are good enough. That's, that's the exact mentality that Satan has embedded humanity with, that you are worthless, that you are unworthy, that you do not deserve to be a child of the king. But this is exactly the proof when Jesus said, this is a new covenant. You are my brother and my sister. Because when we partake of this, we come full circle. We are making a statement a statement that we are Jesus. We belong to the king. And I want to live for the king. This still morning, we are going to celebrate the communion. It is open to all. It doesn't matter if you're a member of this church or not. And if this is your first time, I want to I share with you what we typically do, which is different than some other Christian churches out there. We're going to break up, and we're going to ask that as you leave for the service of humility, which is 
uh, we wash each other's feet. As Jesus washed his disciples' feet, we too wash one another's. Here in the sanctuary will be designated for families. Uh, the deacons will help sort. The, the chairs will look like you see in the back as you walk out. They're facing each other. The gentlemen, you will have the first room here to the right, and the ladies will be to the last room on the left. When you come back into the building or into the sanctuary, we're going to ask that you sit every other row. That way, the deacons and the deaconesses will have enough space and be able to serve the, the emblems, the, the bread, unfermented bread, and the unfermented wine, which is grape juice. You're welcome. You're all welcome to participate. And I would invite you to be a part of this because this is not about you being bad. It's about you belonging to Christ. And if you want to belong to Jesus, Jesus has said, he that comes to me, I will not turn away. This is your place. This is the place where you belong. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, and no matter where you come from, this is your place. So as we break into the, the, the service of humility, if you choose not to participate, you're welcome to stay. You're welcome to hang around. But if you choose to participate, the deacons will be outside helping you to the location where you will participate in the service of humility. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the reminder that though sometimes the actions that we see in the Bible may not align with our thoughts or our worldview of who you are, but maybe, Father, it's because our worldview is too narrow for us to understand the bigger picture. And the actions and the plans that you have set in motion as, as an effort to bring us back to you. But as we look to what Jesus has done, Father, may this solemn ritual that we will participate in be, serve as the reminder that we not only want to live with you and for you, but we belong to you. Thank you for giving us this reminder that you love us because you have shed your blood for us and for this we are grateful we thank you we love you and we ask that you continue to be with us in jesus name amen for those of you that are online and are watching this is going to cease the streaming portion of our worship service we thank you for joining us May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. So long.